You are listening to Primary Care Perspectives, a podcast where pediatric experts from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia discuss the primary care issues that are on their mind and the hot topics that all pediatricians see affecting their daily practice. This podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not to be considered as medical advice for any particular patient. Clinicians must rely on their own informed clinical judgment in making recommendations to their patients. Hi, I'm Dr. Katie Lockwood, a primary care pediatrician at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and today I'm talking about telepsychiatry. Joining me today is Dr. Christy Lanchivo, who's from the Department of Psychiatry and has many other roles, so I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Hi, thank you for having me, Katie. I am the medical director of telehealth for the, our department, the Department of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences, uh, and I also work in integrated care. I'm physically present on, at South Philly, working with the pediatrician in the collaborative care, and uh, as well as I am at the Autism Integrated Care Clinic for our department. So that's a lot of hats that you wear, and we're going to be talking specifically about the work you're doing in telepsychiatry today. So give us a sense of the psychiatry landscape. I often hear that there aren't enough psychiatrists, but is this true, and is it universal, or is it just in certain regions? That's a great question. Uh, So to provide a a brief overview of what the need is, I'll give you some data and statistics. So there is approximately 8,300 practicing child adolescent psychiatrists in the United States for over 15 million uh, child and adolescent wow. in, in need for psychiatry. That means about one out of five kids uh, at some, in a given year has some sort of mental health issues that uh, would uh, require a mental health specialist but are not getting it. Only about 15 to 25% of kids actually get the care that they uh, ever get to see a mental health specialist, not even a psychiatrist. And it sounds like that's because there's not enough psychiatrists. It's not just that you have a bunch of psychiatrists that are practicing in cities and not rural areas, for example. It's just that there's not enough in any area. Is that right? Yes. So there's a a map that was done by the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, and it shows that all the states are in shortage of child and adolescent psychiatrists, including uh, Pennsylvania, which is considered a severe shortage. Okay, so for example, in Pennsylvania, which is considered... Uh, severe shortage. There's 16 child and adolescent psychiatrists per 100,000 children uh, below age of 18. Mm. In New York, there's 27 child and adolescent psychiatrists per 100,000 wow. children. And New York has a lot of psychiatrists, but given the population, right, uh, it's still in uh, severe need. So we're still not meeting the need, even when we have areas with lots of psychiatrists. Yes, yes. Just to put into perspective how it impacts patient, and there is uh, 77% of all the counties in the United States mm-hmm. uh, are considered severe shortage based on what was just mentioned. And 55% of counties in the United States don't have a psychiatrist at all. And this is any psychiatrist, adult so ha- almost or... So like more than half of our counties have no psychiatrists. Yeah. Wow. N- even adult, not adult, not children, none of the counties. Mm-hmm. Uh, 55% of all the counties in the United States. Um, so what that means, translating to the patient is that 40% of Americans who experience a some form of mental illness goes untreated. Hmm. And the average wait time for initial appointment is 7.5 weeks. Wow. And that's a, that's about eight, two months. Right. If, ch- if your child's in crisis. Right. It's a long time to that's wait. That's a long time to wait. Why do you think there is this shortage? Well, uh, historically, 
when it comes to med medical education, psychiatry is, is, is less, it's newer. A lot of our research is, is still in the cutting edge and on the verge. And a lot of students don't go into medical school considering psychiatry. Mm -hmm. And part of, uh, also part of uh, spots available for training for psychiatry has to be increased as well. Because mm -hmm. a lot of training for residency as fellowship, as you may know, is funded by impartial by the federal government. Mm -hmm. Over the years, there's a there's a trend where it's stagnant increase in in medical education training uh, spots, and they're resulting in a shortage of physician overall. Right. Uh, and part of uh, advocacy is to talk to our lawmakers in increasing that funding. So one of the solutions that some places have trialed is telepsychiatry. So how does this in practice help with some of these access issues? So in practice, a, a family or a child that is in need can go to their, their provider or group or hospital of choice, and they can initiate a video visit. Basically, the patient or the family is either at home or at uh, the primary care center. It's very convenient for the family. They can pick a flexible time that they schedule that visit. Uh, they can don't have to commute uh, far to have to see a specialist. Mm -hmm. Things are done through video. Mm -hmm. So essentially, it's a HIPAA compliant video that can, like it's like similar to Skype or FaceTime. Although FaceTime is not HIPAA compliant, right. uh, but so, something similar to a, a video conference that you may have. So it's a more efficient way of providing care in some ways to help with the access issues that you have in psychiatry? Is that yes. yes. So a lot of patients are coming from uh, far away, especially in rural Pennsylvania, uh, where there's a, a lack of any psychiatrists. Right. So they would have to drive more than an hour or two hours. Right, uh, to, for, their appointment. for their appointment. And so to decrease that barrier, our hope is that we can see them at a convenient location. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what I know you do in our office for integrated care is providing some consultation between the psychiatrists and the primary care providers. But in some areas, they may also be geographically separated as providers. So is there room in telepsychiatry for that physician-to-physician uh, -physician level consultation as well? Yes, exactly. Uh, that's actually what we're doing at uh, Cops Creek and, and Chad Ford. Uh, we have a two-pilot service going on there where uh, I am sitting at a, a remote location and the patient is coming into the care network site and is seeing the psychiatrist through video. Sometimes the either the primary care provider, the pediatrician or NP, is present in that visit and sometimes uh, they're not. Uh, part of them being present in these visits is that they can observe how we do psychiatric interviews so that they can upskill is the term in terms of they can uh, maximize th their uh, uh, their skills and work on the top of their license in managing some of the behavioral health concerns. Mm -hmm. That's great. So you mentioned some of the benefits of telepsychiatry include improved access to the specialists, flexible scheduling options, there's no transportation barrier, and there's a reduced wait time overall. But what are some of the barriers or challenges that you find with this? Most of the barrier is actually from the provider perspective, from the provider adaptation of the, not necessarily the technology, but the operation part. Okay. You know, in the, on my program development for the, our telehealth program, 
some things that we consider is who's going to room the patient. Uh, is there even a room for them uh, that they can see psychiatry? Space is an issue at, here at CHOP. There's also consent form, who will get the co uh, consenting the patient, uh, etc. Some of the operation, the GISCO part, uh, are things that as we develop our program will be more fine-tuned right. and hopefully will uh, gain more uh, adaptation from the primary care doctors. And in terms of for the bear for the patient, I think there are uh, parents and uh, adults who who value the face-to-face -face and they think they feel and think that uh, it's needed to establish rapport with the psychiatrist mm -hmm. and so a lot of families uh, don't like the idea that their provider is seeing them through video perhaps they believe they think that it may lower the quality of care mm -hmm. uh, however there are studies that shows differently uh, and I will go into that in a little bit and to, however in terms of adolescent and and kids uh, adopting the technology and immersing with it, we find that uh, children actually do fairly well in engaging uh, with the video visits. Uh, some uh, therapists actually, uh, this is anecdotal, it's not research, but it's anecdotal that some therapists actually find that face-to-face -face with their kids, their, their kids is not even engaging, they're on the phone, they don't open right. up much, but somehow when you put a video visit uh, for the adolescent or the, the kid, uh, the kid, uh, they, there's a uh, some sort of a protection where they can uh, open up and be more vulnerable. More and disinhibited. Disinhibited, inhibited. yeah. Uh, <laughs> You're the psychiatrist, so. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I think they're, the patients are digital natives, so maybe they're more comfortable with this technology than some of the parents or providers might be. And so it's interesting that the kids are the easier adopters of this technology and maybe pushing us all towards using it. Yes, yes. So how well is telepsychiatry reimbursed? Can you bill for this like you would a regular visit in office? Well, um, yes, it's very different mm -hmm. and very complex. So to explain that fully, we have to, uh, let me explain how federal and state policy uh, is sure. like in the nature of telehealth reimbursement. Uh, there is no uh, federal law that mandate uh, coverage, mm -hmm. uh, payers to cover it. And state by state, it has varying laws. Pennsylvania has no laws. Okay. Uh, but uh, Texas has great laws. Uh, for example, uh, a policy in the state uh, legislator could be that patient, uh, that, that insurers have to reimburse telehealth equally as they would in person, and that a site of care can be defined as home, school, or a medical setting. Okay. Uh, so depending on how good the policy is in the state, uh, there is more room to get reimbursement. Uh, here in Pennsylvania, since there's no law, uh, a lot of uh, insurers are, you know, uh, reluctant to, to reimburse for them. And so I imagine this is an area that you're doing some advocacy in. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Uh, our, the, Amer the American Telemedicine Association, as well as American Psychiatric Association, American Academy of Child Asthma Psychiatry, uh, they themselves are doing it, as well as collaboratively, are trying to advocate. So talking about some of the logistics again, what technology is needed for the patient and for the provider? Are we talking about a desktop computer or um, specialized equipment? So in terms of the hardware, the you can use it on your phone, you can do it on your laptop, you can do it on iPad, any hardware. There's no complex, anything that needs to be installed or bought. So just a camera? 
and a, camera. and a secure connection, right? So do you do it through a patient portal usually if the patient is at home? We're doing it through Epic. Through Epic, right. So you have your electronic record. And if for people who don't practice with Epic, they would have whatever their electronic health record system is. Yes. So which primary care patients do you see as being a good fit for a telepsychiatry model? Well, uh, there are studies that show that uh, looked at using video visits for all type of diagnosis, depression, anxiety, disruptive behavior, OCD, mm-hmm. and uh, they, they find that uh, video visits is comparable in terms of outcome mm-hmm. uh, than uh, in person. So it shouldn't really matter what the diagnosis is since they're equally effective. That's what the research show. Uh, at CHOP, we are, uh, each program that we are involved with has their own criteria as to who they think would be the best patient for this type of work. Uh, for just specifically for the care network, uh, what we're doing with, with uh, Cops Creek and Chad Ford is that we tell provider that because our goal is to upskill the provider, basically uh, train the PCPs in how to uh, interview patients psychiatrically and how to manage behavioral health needs, mm-hmm. uh, whoever they refer to the program, that they would be comfortable with managing the patient after uh, we stabilize them and we do the consultation, they transfer back to the PCP for continued care. Right. So it's someone who would primarily be managed in primary care long term. Yes. Great. So you've mentioned a little bit about the research behind it. So what is the evidence for the um, effectiveness of telepsychiatry? So uh, there are randomized controlled trials uh, in using video visits with a lot of patients with multiple uh, diagnoses, including OCD, depression, anxiety, disruptive behaviors. And they find that video visits, treatment outcome are comparable to in person. Um, so, and in some cases, there are increased satisfaction and acceptability with the patient and their families. So, tell us about your use of telepsychiatry at CHOP and how someone could refer a patient to you for this. So, uh, for the telehealth program at CHOP with the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences, we have three uh, pilot program uh, currently going on. I'll briefly touch base on them and then explain further. Uh, we have telepsychiatry in the ED uh, coverage mm-hmm. overnight, so our providers provide that. We also have a pilot program with the GI psychology where they are doing intervention, behavioral health interventions for patients in their home, specifically for uh, constipation issue. Okay. And the criteria for who fits that is strict, so right. um, it's not available for anybody. In terms of what I am doing, we are seeing patients in the primary care network uh, at Chat Forward and Cops Creek right now, right. Uh, where they come to the primary care site and are seen with the PCP and myself through video. And the goal of that is that a uh, patient will be managed for a short term with psychiatric consultation and then transfer back to PCP care. So in terms of referring uh, to that, uh, population. Right now it's for Chad Ford and Cops Creek only, but in the next year we hope to expand uh, to two or three other uh, sites. And if any PCP who are enthusiastic about this and want to partner with us, uh, then please reach out to me and we can get the ball and conversation rolling. Uh, Great. I love that because you mentioned that one of the goals is to 
upskill, I think you called it, the pediatricians. So if there are people who are passionate in this area and they want to get involved, then they can reach out to you to try to bring this technology to their practice location. Yes, yes, yes. So thank you so much for your time and teaching us about telepsychiatry. I've certainly learned a lot about the access issues to getting psychiatric care, particularly for pediatric patients, and how telepsychiatry might help remove some of those barriers for our patients to get them the care they need faster and conveniently. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Primary Care Perspectives. You can download and subscribe to future episodes on iTunes or visit chop.edu slash PCP podcasts for a listing of all episodes. I look forward to our next chat.